0: Amen, amen. Well, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse number 5. Ephesians 2, verse number 5. Now, we're going to be looking at a little bit introspectively about how God is working in our lives and how God moves in our lives. But the, the key to understand this whenever you're looking introspectively it, it is to remember that no matter how dark the world is outside, no matter how hard the problems are, no matter how deep the waters are, God won't let you go under when you're in Christ greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world and if you you will walk in the spirit of God you will walk on the high places that come up in your life no matter how hard they are and no matter how defeated you think you may be if you'll walk in the spirit God will cause you to walk victoriously even in tragedy even in hard times even when you don't understand God will give you the ability to do what you otherwise could not do that's why God gets the glory and not you you can't figure it out you're never called to lean on your own understanding if you've got to have everything figured out right don't be don't be like Gideon and have to keep throwing out those fleeces when God says go go if God says don't go don't go right see we're called to walk in the spirit If you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians 5, right? 17. What we see is that there's this inward uh, introspective move of God in the life of every person. If, If everybody else around you falls back, if everybody else around you is a fraud, if everybody else around you is failing and flailing, Will you still press on? Will you still move towards God? Will, or, or will you say, well, nobody else is pressing? The thought that I want you to, 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 to think on right now is, you remember the story of the Titanic. The Titanic was the great ship. They said it was unsinkable, and it sank. Anything man does can be undone. In amazing testimonies, we read some of the history when we went to the museum there. But there were a number of ministers on the Titanic. I was struck. I was standing at the wall looking at all the stories of these ministers. And, and, and some of the ministers, they had seats on the lifeboats. They had seats on the lifeboats. Some of the ministers had families in other places and they had seats on the lifeboats. They had an access to get off, an access to, to survive. And, and, and while the boats were being lowered into the water, the, remind you the Titanic was at a, at a very steep angle, so they knew they were going down. And this one particular minister gave up his seat on the Titanic's lifeboat so that he could go back on to the sinking ship while it was at about a 45-degree angle. And he began to gather people and pray for them and help them and counsel them and lead them to the Lord while they were drowning in those cold parish waters. You see, there's times that you, you may feel like the, the nation's going down, society's going down, the church is going down, all we do is play games and we, we, we got to sell popcorn to get people in church and we got to do this and we got to do that and the, the Titanic is sinking, but you know what, if you'll just stay on fire for God, if, if you'll stay on fire for God, you'll go where you're supposed to go. See, this life is a race. We've all been called to that race, and and God has called you into that race, and he wants you to finish your race in faithfulness, right? In faithfulness. That's what God looks for, is that you will be faithful to the end. Amen? So there's times in our lives that we feel like maybe it is hopeless. Maybe it is hopeless, but I want you to know There's no telling how many souls you may lead to the Lord when it's the darkest. It may be that that minister was able to save more souls in that sinking boat than all the years of his ministry combined. We don't know. But we know that God would honor that man as he gave up his seat, right, to go back to the perishing and perish with them for one reason, to counsel them to Jesus while they were drowning. Can you imagine a minister today saying, hey, let's drown together. While we're drowning, let me tell you about Jesus. That's faith. And I believe that if the Lord tarries, we're going to see that kind of of prophetic ministers begin to rise up around the world. You're seeing it rise up right now in in places like Pakistan and Iran and in different places in Africa. And and, and we're not in a bubble in America for long. Amen. There will be a time when our society detests Christianity openly. It it does it privately now, but there, there will become, of time right and, and we have to make sure that we're right with God introspectively and that begins if you're going to be right with God it begins with understanding that you need God's grace without God's grace right you'll be frustrated without God's grace you'll feel like you live under the hammer going out to the woodshed with God when the the actual opposite is God's heart God's heart is to bring about you a work of reconciliation God's heart is to light a fire in you that no demon in hell can blow out God's desire is to give you the joy that, that no demon can steal from you God's desire is to do a work in you that can never be undone and he accomplishes it all through grace So when we're looking in what God's doing in our lives, it all begins, and I want you to hear this, it all begins and ends with God's grace. There's never a moment when you don't need God's grace. And what we see when we were talking about Hezekiah is there was a time in his life when he was right with God, he had a heart for God, he burned all the groves down, he tore up all the idols, he caused the whole nation to go after God, And he, he was delivered in two huge miracles. But then when everything was good, when everything was good, he stopped leaning on God's grace. And I want you to know that we can often do the same thing. We can begin to to, just like an airplane, right? An airplane has to use a big lot of jet fuel to propel itself into the air. But once it gets in the air, you know what? You still got to burn the engine. If the engines go off, it's going down. And and many believers are like that. Many believers, we, we like that airplane. We use all that grace to get up off the ground and then we leave grace. And we're going to crash. When you begin to try to live a Christian life in your own strength, you will crash and burn. You'll be frustrated. you'll, You'll be dried out. You'll be like a prune. You'll be, oh, where's the power? Where's the victory? And it's because you're leaning on your own strength and not on God. This is grace. Grace is when you need God's help and we all need god's help don't ever forget that airplane it has to keep those engines going even while it's in the air if you've ever ridden in an airplane you know you feel it at takeoff but once it's in the air you don't feel it anymore but those engines still gotta go you hear that you hear that pilot say we've lost engine number one you got problems and in, in, in too many believers' life, we've lost engine number one and engine number two. We, we, we live in off our own merits. We are living off our own strength. We're living off of what we know. We've stopped leaning on the Lord. We've begun to lean on our own understanding. We've stopped leaning on God's grace. We've begun leaning on our own works. We've stopped walking in the spirit and we've begun to walk in the flesh. We wonder why the airplane's turbulent, right? We wonder why everything's bumpy. We wonder why there's no power in our lives, no power in our churches, no power of God in the nation. It's because the church isn't operating in the grace that God has for it. It all begins in God's grace. You, 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 you're not gonna come to God without his grace, you, you don't have that ability. You don't have the, you didn't work your way to God's favor. God didn't say, "Well, oh, you're a good worker. Come on in. God looked at you. God looked at you, and by his mercy and grace, he ministered to you. Grace, right? Grace and truth. That's what the Lord Jesus deals in. That's what the Lord Jesus deals in. Go back and read John chapter 1. It's grace. Grace came in by Jesus didn't it didn't it grace came in by jesus so here we see in 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 ephesians chapter 2 let's go ahead and get into this because we got somewhere we want to get ephesians 2 it says even when we were dead in sins speaking of god god had quickened us together with christ by grace you are saved you see nobody got saved outside of god's grace it doesn't say because you joined the right denomination. It doesn't say because you sung the right song, you prayed the right prayer, you, you jumped high enough, you clapped hard enough, you sung pretty enough, you, you did this. No, it's by God's grace. And I want you to know the way that you get into the kingdom of God is the way you're supposed to stay. Now, we're not talking about not growing. You, you're still going to grow in the Lord. But you get into God's favor by God's grace. And you're still supposed to operate your life by grace. Grace, operating in God's grace, requires humility. Let me say this. Grace necessitates humility humility is when we lower ourselves when we relinquish control when we relinquish the power when we relinquish the ability and we go to God in dependability when we say God I can't do it but I know you can amen y'all know that song I know a man who can that's what, that's what humility is. Humility is when you go to God and, I, and say, Lord, I need you. I don't need me. I don't need them. I don't need it, that, or any other gift possible under the sun. I need you. I'm coming to you, Lord, and I need you. I need you to move, God, this cold, dead heart I need you to revive my weary spirit. I need you to renew my mind that's been here, there, and everywhere else. God, I need you to do a work in me, and I can't do it. I try my best, but I can't. I need you. This is dependability. This is, you know, I'm making a play on that word, depend. This is when I'm depending on the Lord. It's humility. It's It's telling the Lord, I need you, and this is, as we were referencing King Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 20. This is what Hezekiah missed there at the end of his life. It was that humility that he needed when Babylon tried to to win him over by their prizes and their gifts and the accolades of men. The flattering praise puffed up his heart because he was no longer dependent on God. He allowed himself to look at himself. Look how high I am. This is like an airplane flying that says, Look how high I am. I shut off the engine and just look at how beautiful this plane is in the air. When you shut off the grace, everything crashes. God never called you to operate in your own strength, God never called you to operate without humility. When when a church, when a Christian, when a believer is operating without humility and grace, they are a Pharisee. Matthew chapter 23, one through all. A a, a Pharisee is someone who keeps an outward show of religion, who keeps that outward thing up that makes sure everybody knows how long my robe is, makes sure everybody knows I wash my hands when I come in, when I'm in, when I'm about to leave, when I'm leaving, and everything else that I do, making people know that I am above them. This is the heart of a Pharisee. A Pharisee has to keep that up because he ha- doesn't have the inward where it's supposed to be. The, 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 the inward is what God's looking for. The outward is what man desires of men. The outward is what man desires of man. Oh, you're doing good. You've, look at you. Look at you. Wow, look at you. And we're supposed to live in in, in an audience of one. Live as if only one person is alive, and that's God. And know and understand that he's called you to love him with all your heart and then to love others likewise. And you might say, but what about me? God will love you. God never tells you to love yourself. God will love you. He like said that, that God loved you and that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. You wonder where you fit in, you fit in right there, in Romans chapter five. that's where you fit in. But God called you to exhaust your heart on him first. And then if you have any breath left, exhaust your love on others. He just completely omits you. How about that? He wasn't worried about your best life now. He was, he, was, he was thinking about you loving him the way you're created to and you loving others so that he can love them through you. But you know, if you're, if you're considering how people think about you and you're considering about how everything affects you, you're not considering about how God can love others through you. Are you with me? Uh, Verse number six, it says, and and had raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might, might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Understand that God's grace is available to every drunk Every person on murderers row, every hopeless person, every, every degenerate out there, because we were all degenerate. You're, you're still a degenerate unless you're regenerate. It, and one of the things that we see here is that God's grace is available for all. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen. It matters how big your God is and your God is bigger than your sin. Somebody needs to shout glory on that one because some of us have fallen hard and it's good that we've got a God bigger than our fall. It's good that God's mercy, right, knows no bounds. It's good that that blood that flows from Calvary can cleanse the vilest of sinners and the ugliest of sin and can change the most wayward prodigal child. And so he said that he's gonna show, all right, it's in the ages to come. That's what we're gonna sing about for all of eternity, how great our God is. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Grace, when you believe the gospel, God just pours out grace because you just simply believe. This is how God confounds the wise. It doesn't make sense to the religious. This is what sets Christianity in opposition to every religion under the sun. It is when you just simply believe, not work. When you believe, not work. When you believe, God opens up grace and he reaches out his hand and he applies the blood of the lamb to your soul through your belief. Grace changes you through your faith in jesus and i want you to know the reason that we're that i'm starting here is this is the jet propulsion this is how you take off but i want you to see that that's how you're supposed to fly too as you go throughout your Christian life, as you get as you begin to understand the things of God and tarry before God and receive the Spirit of God and begin to walk in the power and the anointing of God and the calling of God on your life, as you begin to go through and testify of His goodness and his greatness, and then sometimes we just kind of take a look around and say, "Wow, look how far i've come," and in those moments that's when the testing is I, preached earlier message that it's in those good times, it's in those blessed times that most often the greatest test comes. when, When the enemy's coming at you full frontal, you know to buckle down. When the enemy's coming at you, knocking on the front door, you know to latch the deadbolt and to lock the door, and you know all that. You know when the enemy's coming the front way, but when he comes sideways, when he comes back ways, when he comes footways, ways, when, when he comes sneak and stealthily and subtly, it's in the blessed time because that's when most Christians' guard is down. That's when we've stopped depending on God's grace to hold us together that's when we've stopped walking in the spirit we believe we can take our foot off the gas pedal we believe we can relax when everything's blessed everything's as it should be or this is the best it can be and we walk in that and then the enemy sees a sitting duck not because of any other reason but you've stopped operating in depending on God's grace Jets, shut off. You're coasting, and you're just a sitting duck. This is, this is exactly what happened, and as we reference in the story in, in, in Hezekiah's life, he, he was flying great. When, when, when King S- Sennacherib from Assyria came front ways, we're going to take the nation. Oh, he battened down the hatches. Let's go to the temple of the Lord. Spread out the letter. Call the prophet. Come on. Next battle. This one's going to take your life. You've got a sickness, and it is to death and he turns to the wall, and he cries out to God, and he says, Lord, I have served you. I have served you in integrity. God, I pray that you would heal me, right? And God sends Isaiah, and Isaiah said, God said he's gonna give you 15 more years. Second great battle, Hezekiah hits it dead on, and he's depending on God. Third battle, third battle doesn't come head on. Third battle comes sideways, third battle comes when there's no visible opposition it's just blessed time, God gave me 15 more years, king of Babylon sent presents to me they want to see the whole palace come on guys, I'll show you everything let his guard down let his guard down and let his heart get swelled up let his heart get swelled up and many believers have the same symptom many believers have the same symptom is when when everything's going great when everything is swell when everything is good we let the guard down and we stop depending on God like we did in the hard times how many of you remember those hard times when 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 you was scraping to get by when when you was Remember, and it created a hunger. You couldn't get enough of the word of God. You prayed every time the church had a prayer meeting. You was there every time the church had a Bible study or a Sunday school or a church service or this service or that service. You was there. Even if the pastor needed somebody to wash something, you was there. You was doing it, Right? Why? Because you was hungry for God and when you got home, you, you opened up the word of God and you sat there at the table and you know what? You might even cancel cable because you were so preoccupied with the word of God and, and people, you know what's amazing? Is, is You know, you don't have to run worldly folks out of your life if you'll just get hungry for God and filled up with God. They will avoid you like the plague. They will walk around you like you're a roach. They will go, oh, oh, we got to go. they they will walk around you to go where they need to go but it's when we're not operating in that grace and the fire of god right when when compromise comes in right that's when we find ourselves at home with those worldly folks again when god called us to be set apart God called us to be a peculiar people, right? God called us to be a holy priesthood. God never called us to intertwine ourselves with the world. He called us to testify to the world, to love the world, but not be intertwined with the world. And when we find ourselves intertwined with the world, it's because we're not burning inwardly as we should. And so... We see that this this walk with the Lord, it it begins by grace. And turn with me to James chapter 4 tonight. I tell you, God is good, isn't he? Aren't you glad that God doesn't require your work to get into the kingdom? But it's his grace. It's his grace. James chapter 4. We'll begin in verse number three. A sad reality. A sad reality that we can all testify about. There's times in our life when we was on fire for God. And times when we was more concerned about who was going to win American Idol. who We was more concerned about who was going to win the ball game. Or we, it's sad. This stuff used to stay in our homes, but now it's coming in our churches. People watching movies, like, dressing up like Star Wars in churches and stuff like that. It's, 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 cause it, it, it's, it's because we're not full of God. we got to get full of the world. And, and, and not to mock anybody, but because we've all been there. Anybody that's ever walked with God is, has found times in their life when they grew a little bit wayward only jesus was it said of this is my son in whom i'm well pleased and that's the goal is to please the father i don't know about you i don't know what your goal is that's what my goal is can't wait for that day right breath leaves lungs spirit rises up i want to hear those words well done good and faithful servant Not good and faithful leader, not good and faithful teacher, not good and faithful pastor, not good and faithful evangelist, prophet, singer, worship leader, not good and faithful mom, dad, uncle, not good and faithful nothing but good and faithful servant. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. We've lost that heart in the church we've lost that. We you, you see those old churches. Now I'm not a proponent of it, but you see those old churches where they have those foot washings. Right? Cuz some people, oh man, it's But you know what? Those old foot washings, well, you know what they was symbolic of? They were symbolic of serving one another. That I'm not above you. It was walking in the in the shoes of the Lord. Is just telling each other that I submit and subject myself to you. I don't think I'm above you. I will wash your feet and serve you. All right? We've lost that heart in the church. That, that, that food washing is just symbolic. When the Lord washed the feet of the disciples, it was symbolic of what he, his ministry was about, what his life was about. It was symbolic of I'm serving you. I came to serve you. I came to lead you. I came to save you. Not, I don't need the accolades. I don't need you to put me on your shoulders, right? I came to serve you and to show you how you are called to serve one another. This is the message that Jesus gave them. This is what really kind of drove Judas off the edge when he saw Jesus doing this. He wanted Jesus to be that king. He wanted him to take control. This is that power hunger, right? We, you see that in the church world today. Well, Here in James chapter 4, beginning in verse number 3, you you, 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 you can't just look at this and and, and think of others. you got to remember those times in your life when this was you. Maybe it still is to some varying degree. But but let's go ahead and and get in, and and I encourage you to read this whole chapter later, but let's begin here in verse number 3. It says, you ask and receive not. Because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. Woo. If you heard some, some I'm going to just say this. Some, sometimes we get so caught up in American materialism and it's invaded the church and it's an abomination to God. We, we, we've allowed ministers to preach this name it and claim it and use it in materialistic terms in, instead of claiming your family for God. And they, we've begun to claim houses and cars and stock market items and, and, and clothes when, when, when what we're supposed to be claiming is kingdom territory and souls for the kingdom of God but we've allowed materialism to become an abomination in God's eyes and we wonder why God isn't moving. Why do we got to rent horses? And why do we got to rent horses and let kids ride on, on 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 ponies around the church to get people to come to church? Why do we got to dress up like Star Wars people? Why do we got to do all this? Why do we got to sell popcorn in the sanctuary these days? Why do we got to do this? Because the church has become abominable when we become materialistic we've, we've allowed the materialism of the world to come into the church house and one of the things that we have to guard against as believers is that we think of our own selves too right because you're the temple of God And though the world may be going down, right, like the Titanic, don't let it steal your zeal for God. Don't let it steal your anointing. Don't let it steal that, that special anointing, that consecration that you have where you're set apart and a holy individual, a holy soul that God can use in this world. This is what the church is supposed to be. But you know what? If the churches aren't that, at least let your light shine. At least let your light shine. If enough of God's remnant folks shine bright and holy and pure, God will assemble the right folks. God may have to reshuffle the deck of the denominations, but God will do it. God may have to reshuffle some things, but God will do it. Because God has a remnant in every generation. You think about Elisha, right? It was how many? It was 5,000. They haven't bowed their knee, and he thought he was the only one. God has his folks. We just got to make sure we keep ourselves right with God and allow God to do what he needs to do. So here we see that that in, 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 in verse three it says that they asked, right? that's what you're supposed to do that's what that book says I bought it at the Christian bookstore it said just ask just name it and claim it just ask and I asked I meant it I meant it with all I I want a new Porsche right see that we've allowed that materialism to come into the church and look what it says it says you you ask and you you receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it on your lusts." Instead of crying out for souls, instead of spending time on our knees at altars and crying out for our children, our sons, our daughters, that God may save them, that God may fill them, that they may receive that latter rain, that they may prophesy unto God, that the Spirit of God may lift them up, that we're not crying out for souls, we're crying out for cars. In, 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 in this materialism has, it has been a cavity, a cavity in the church. A cavity has got to get pulled. you got to yank that thing out. It's done eating up some stuff. It, it's time to start fresh and get, get down in that nitty-gritty and get down into that, that place where that cavity is. So it says that they asked amiss, right? They may consume it on their lust. Look at the next verse, verse 4. You adulterers and adulteresses. Now, you know that this was written to the church? Go read who this was written to. This is not written to the world. This is not you writing to the local chapter of the world out there. This was God writing it to the church. Now... You might say, man, pastor, you've been hard on the church. The Lord wrote that. The Holy Ghost wrote that. Can you imagine? Well, that, that, that uh, letter just didn't make me feel blessed. I mean, that apostle called me an adulterer just because, you know, I'm materialistic. You're supposed to always lift me up, not make me feel bad. You're supposed to always make me feel like I'm a hundred. Like my best days ahead. Your best days not ahead till you turn to the Lord. You turn to the Lord, God can restore time. Ask Hezekiah so He said, you adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Have we got that, right? Have we got that? Friendship with the world is enmity with God? Oh, come on now, you you, you can't be that holy roller. Who, who, Who is a friend of the world? those that compromise, those that concede territory, those that concede holy territory that was consecrated to God in order to gain favor and flattery from men. That's friendship of the world. You want men's flattery? It will cost you your consecration. You want God's esteem, it'll cost you to be a separation. Separation. Now, let's continue in this. um, Friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Whose side are we on, right? Right? Whose side are we on? Not, not only you, not only me, but the church world today. If the world is perishing, why in the world is the church compromised in this hour? This is the hour we should be out Rescuing souls. This is the hour we should tarry before the altars, pleading with God to save our children, our spouses, our, our family members, our mothers, our, our sisters, our brothers, our uncles. This is a time we should be pleading at the altars for our neighbors, for, for our people in our town. This is the time we should be pleading for souls and the only time people go to church is if there's a camel ride or a pony ride or, or selling popcorn, now, now, whose side are we on? Where is our heart at? Where is our heart at? God's desiring a people who depend not on themselves but on him. And if we depend on him, God will honor that dependence and God will put grace on it and God will breathe his Holy Spirit on it. But not until then. We wonder why there's all these fake manifestations of the spirit is because too many people don't have the real thing and they're faking it and you can't fake it till you make it. God's light and he's not dark, right? And and, and whenever you don't have the real thing, you've got to fake it. That's why you got to give pony rides. And so... He says in verse number five, do you think that the scripture says in vain the spirit that dwelleth in us? So he's obviously talking to believers. The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. What does that mean? That means that inside you, if you're a believer, there's a cry. Inside you, there's a holy cry. This is not how it's supposed to be. This is not how it's supposed to be. Not in me, not in the church, and not in the world. It's supposed to be different. If the Spirit of God is in you, the Spirit of God, listen, is the plumb line. The Spirit of God is the bubble on the level. It, it, it tells you what is right and what is wrong. In the Spirit of God in you, the Spirit of God in you, lust to envy. When things are not of God, the Spirit of God will cry out against it. You know why? This is every time God moved you. go look and read Isaiah 58. God said, lift up your voice like a trumpet and cry out. Cry out against them. Cry out. Why? That prophet was operating in the same Spirit that is in you, that lust to envy. That Spirit is crying out against the world, invading the church the world invading you the world invading the spirit cries out against the invasion of the darkness where the temple of God is supposed to be light we are called to be the light of the world not like the world and so amazing after all that right you get in all that i get worked up i'm sitting here fixing my collar loosening my you get all worked up that spirit cries out there's so much there that you got to see that even if you're a believer there's a there's a cry in you if you are a child of god inside you there is a desire for god you, you, you may be, you know, messed up. You may be wayward, but if you're a child of God, there's a cry in there against the ungodliness. Some of us, we try to, try to block it out. Any prodigal can tell you that. Any prodigal can tell you that. But notice this verse here, verse 6. Look at that. After all that, but the engine still burns. But he giveth more grace. That's the spirit's jet fuel. You you get to that point and you just say, you know, this and that, and you get all worked up and it says, but he gives more grace. Right at the moment, you think, and he's going to whop you over the head. But even in that place when God's people, God's saved people have become materialistic and and inundated and captivated by the way of the world, it says, but he gives more grace. You've never out the grace of God. You've never got so materialistic that God's grace can't break the hold that it has captivated on you. You've never gotten to a place where God's grace can't reach you and revive you and refill you and reclaim you for God. You've not outrun the grace of God when you're out there and you've been wandering and and, and captivated by the world. The spirit of God is still there, is still crying out, and he gives more grace than you need his grace is available and it's still it's what it's how that jet plane takes off and it's what keeps it in the air and when it begins to lose altitude right god gives more grace god gives more grace You'll be like that eagle, rise up on wings of eagle. Amen. Oh, God be glorified. Amen. When, when you begin to lose that altitude, you'll rise up on wings of eagles. Oh, praise God for that. Amen. God be glorified in this place. Amen. God is good, He gives more grace. You you think you done blew it. You think you hit the dead end. You think you've you've done gone too cold and you done went too far, but God said you ain't seen nothing yet. I'm here to reclaim you and restore you and refill you and put that anointing back on you and put the call of God back on you and use you once again to go out and be a light in a dark world. God has such an awesome plan for your life. And if you will submit to it, if you will submit to it, God will begin the work of restoration now as you hear this message. Oh God, we need your grace to restore the fire and the zeal to the church and to our souls right now. God, we need your fire and your zeal restored. It it was said of Jesus that the zeal of the Lord, right, consumed him. And how far we've fallen short, but yet we're called the body of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. We're supposed to have the spirit of Christ. And how can it be said of him that the zeal of the Lord consumed him, but not us? Just let you know that we need God's grace in this hour. It's a place God wants to take us, and only grace will get us there. So he gives more grace, continuing in verse number six. Wherefore he saith, God resist the proud. Every prodigal has been proud. Every prodigal has been proud, proud of your accomplishments, proud of your life, proud of the plateau you've gotten to, proud of something. And the darkest pride is religious pride, ask the Pharisees. Again, Matthew 23, one through all. Religious pride is a place where the, where the cold, dead soul can reside and, 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 do, and void themselves of conviction because we put pride in what we've done and not who we are. And so God resists the proud, but He gives grace unto the humble. Humility, humility. God gives grace to those that operate in humility. Humility is when you say, God, I need you. Can't do it. Can't do it. And look at the next verse. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You, as a child of God, have The victory when God's grace is working in you, when you're submitted to God and you resist the devil. Resist the devil means don't walk hand in hand with him. Don't play patty cake with him. Don't give a foothold to him. Don't don't in in the way that you do that that when when the spirit of God is working in your life and you're operating in the grace of God the spirit of God will head you up the spirit of God is a discerner of spirits the spirit of God will lead you his job is to lead you into all what truth he is called the spirit of truth and he will lead you on those paths of righteousness if you'll listen, if you'll clear out the clutter and get before God and allow his grace to do what he needs to do in your life, the spirit of God will speak to you. This is what Hezekiah missed. This is what Hezekiah missed. This is what he missed. He was not listening to God. He allowed the flattery of men to hit his ears and his heart rather than God's word hidden in the heart. Now we'll close in Hebrews chapter four tonight. Hebrews chapter number four. Seeing, it's uh, did I tell you what verse? Go to verse 14. Hebrews chapter four. Verse 14, we're going to read the last three verses here. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. Can somebody give glory? Do you have a good high priest? Amen. Amen. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Now, that'll preach. Hold on to it. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched, listen to this, with the feeling of our infirmities. We have not a high priest that cannot be touched, listen to this, with how you feel. The Lord's first advent is described as his Humiliation by theologians. His humiliation, his next one will be his exaltation. Second advent. First advent, humiliation. How can Christ identify and understand your feelings? Because he operated, lived in, incarnated in, manifested humility. He can be touched with how you feel because he came to where you are and he went to where you couldn't go and he did what you could never do and he paid a price you couldn't pay And so we have these feelings of infirmity, these these setbacks, these hardships. And he navigated through them. He persevered over them. He was victorious over them. He was in the world, but not of the world. And he conquered the world when he rose on the third day. Death couldn't hold him. Death said, "I can't hold him anymore." He came out of that tomb on the third day, and he came out of the tomb victorious. And he still can feel your infirmity today because he allowed himself to be humiliated before he was exalted serve a good and great God don't we oh what a good and great God we serve it says that, that uh, we we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without Sin. And some That's another sermon there too. Get on Word of Faith about that. Oh, Yet without sin, he didn't die a sinner. That's right. He died for sin, not as a sinner. Amen. He died as the king for sin, Amen. not as a lost sinner. But he allowed himself to touch, to be touched with our pain. When he was on the cross, he bore our sins, our sorrows, and our trespasses. He was rejected and despised of men. He was abused and marred. His beard plucked out. His face punched, spit on. His crown of thorns, blood down his head, crucified, humiliated. But his humiliation was even more than that just thinking of the god of glory coming to this place and dawning flesh his humiliation that's why his first advent is called his humiliation and that's why he can identify with your hardships there's no hardship that you go through that he doesn't understand There's no feeling that you feel that he didn't feel. There's no hardship that he can't touch and say, child, it's going to be okay. It's all going to be over soon. Just be faithful and finish your race. And when you come home, he will give you the welcome of all welcomes guiding you over that river, leading you into the promised land, putting you there where all the hosts of heaven are singing around the throne of glory. Oh, worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. And the amazing thing is, it says in verse number 16, in response to having that good of a god look at verse 16 let us therefore come boldly you ever have a a a kid who knows his grandma's got something for him that kid comes boldly into that grandma's house oh grandma where's that banana pudding at (laughs) grandma where's the cake right come boldly up in there that's how god wants you to come to him he wants you to know where home is, and He wants you to come not 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 temperately, but boldly, knowing the way was made in front of you, God. Through Jesus made the way in front of you. It says that Jesus is the forerunner. He went back there into the holy of holies and he put that blood on the mercy seat up there and he made a way for sinners like you and like me and like everyone else that's out in this God-forsaken world. That way we can have access to God. We can come to God and be cleansed for our sin, redeemed and restored again only because Jesus is our forerunner. So he says, let us therefore come boldly, where? Look what it says. Come boldly unto the throne of grace. Jet fuel, grace. Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God made a way for you to access what you need. That's grace. God made a way for you to do that. And God's calling you to come boldly to him. Come boldly to him. God's calling you to come boldly to him. If you'll come boldly to him, God will meet you in that boldness. And God will give you grace for your time and mercy your time, and he'll heal and restore. He'll pour into you what your soul needs. Amen? Amen. Isn't God good? Oh, what a good God we serve. You need God's grace today? Yes. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Let's come boldly to the Lord. Father, we bless you tonight. We thank you For such a mighty and great God as you are, Lord, we pray that you would minister to our souls tonight.